Welcome to Inspiration Rising. I'm your host, David Trotter, and we're here to inspire you to rise up in your life, love, and leadership. Despite the somewhat playful title of today's episode, our conversation today is obviously a sensitive one. I started the Inspiration Rising podcast in January of 2019 with a desire to help women and the men who support them be inspired in all aspects of life. And that includes tackling some challenging and painful subjects, including miscarriage. My wife and I have experienced three miscarriages, and each one was painful in its own way. And because I only know my own experience, I think it's always important to learn from the stories of others. And today we have the opportunity to hear from Kelsey Murphy, a business and life coach, as well as the host of the Whiskey and Work podcast. When I was approached about having her on the show, I knew I wanted to give her the opportunity to share her miscarriage story in the hopes that it would benefit you, our Inspiration Rising listeners, as well as your friends. In this episode, you'll learn the three options Kelsey faced when a heartbeat wasn't found, how she and her husband processed the loss differently, what she did and did not want to hear from others during the grieving process, and why she doesn't suggest sending flowers to someone experiencing a miscarriage. All right, let's jump into my conversation with Kelsey Murphy. Well, Kelsey, thanks so much for taking some time to hang with me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks so much for having me on. I'm so pumped to be here and have this conversation. Yeah. Well, it is obviously a very sensitive conversation, and I really appreciate your vulnerability of being willing to share it, not only with your audience, but also ours as well. But take me back to 2018, to the moment when you learned of your pregnancy. What was what was that moment like? Were you trying to get pregnant? Were you not? Like, had, do, Did you already have kids? Take us through that moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question and a great place to start. Actually, we, um, did have one kiddo already a little girl and, uh, we were enjoying her and trying to enjoy our time with her as much as possible before like saying, okay, are we really ready for two? Because we've heard that one is like none, two is like 10, you know? So How we old were was like, she, at the time? she was about two. Yeah. So we were very careful about waiting and deciding when we wanted to try, but we both had uh, kids older, right? So we are, we're both older and we knew that kind of our window was closing. So, um, when we decided was actually, we took a trip to France, my husband and I did for about two weeks and it was very terrifying for us to leave our child at home, but it was his very best friend who is going to get married out in France. And we were like, we have to do this. We only have one kid. She's very young. She probably won't remember like this may be kind of like a <laughs> this final scar her. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like this is our chance. Like the window's closing. So we were like, okay, let's do it. And um, we had talked about starting to try like on that trip in France, like this is going to be mm-hmm. like our big thing, you know, like, okay, like we're doing a big trip, you know, and, and we're going to start to try when we're out there. So it was kind of, it was very fun, right? Very adventurous and fun and exciting on paper, right? (laughs) Um, And we went and we started trying in France and then um, we came back and we found out we were pregnant. And And by the way, can I just say that like that whole metaphor of like, we're trying, like we know what you're doing. Like, that's just awkward. (laughs) Okay, that's just awkward. Let's just be, I mean, just to be awkward here, okay? I know, right? We're in France, we're trying. (laughs) I know. Okay, awkward (laughs) 
casuals. Yes, I know. It's especially it's it's amazing when you meet meet strangers and you have the conversation like, "Oh, are you trying to have kids?" It's like I I legit met you twenty minutes ago, <laughs> and you want to know about my intimate life. Okay, that's okay. I see where we're going. Like it's become normal almost. Yeah, yeah. All right, <laughs> so, so you you get back to the states, you find out you're pregnant, and were yep. you were excited then? I would assume. Oh my gosh, over the moon. We we felt so lucky to be able to get pregnant so quickly because I think when you get older, especially when you start to have kids or try to have kids when you're older, you think I'm ready. Like I've waited. <laughs> like I did all I like I sewed all my oats. I did all my things and now that I'm I I'm ready to have kids. Yeah, you and you're like, really I'm ready old. now. I mean, you are old. <laughs> what? Like 28? <laughs> well, I'm 36. I, I appreciate that though. 28 is I'm very not old, of you. but <laughs> um no, but you you decide when you decide, you know, like you're like I'm ready now and you you think that it's going to happen so quickly and mm-hmm. it often doesn't, right? Like mm-hmm. I think the, the average time is at least six months. Um, right. And so we had kind of expected it to take a little while. So when we, we got pregnant right away, we just were elated, you know, mm. over the moon. Weren't ne- like we had no scares. We had no miscarriages before. Like mm-hmm. we just didn't, we didn't expect anything bad to happen. You know, mm-hmm. we, we just, it was the most exciting thing. We told people very early on because we were in France and everyone knew we were starting to try and it was this big joke and it was so fun and all our best friends were there. And, and so when we went to the first ultrasound, we were at about six weeks and we got a picture of the baby and it was a very strong heartbeat. Mm. And so we sent it out to all of our friends because we were like, well, we heard the heartbeat. And mm-hmm. we saw the baby and everything seems really positive. And we never even thought to be conscious or careful of it. Mm. And we sent out this picture just to the friends that we went to France with. And we're like, look what we have a French baby. Like, this is so exciting. <laughs> we had such a fun, like laugh at it, you know? Um, so yeah, so we were over the moon. Mm. And so at what point did things you, that was at six weeks, things were fine. At what point did things seem like, okay, things are not going as planned. Yeah. So that was at about six weeks and we didn't get in for another appointment till about a little after 10 weeks, um, then, um, almost 11 weeks. And when we went into that 11 week appointment, we brought my little girl, my little two-year-old and, uh, my husband and I were there and, uh, the doctor took a look And she immediately was like, let let me just like listen for the heartbeat and immediately was like, um, I, I, I'm, I need to do an ultrasound. Mm -hmm. And I think my husband at that point said that he immediately was like, oh my gosh. So she was just using a stethoscope at that point. Yes. Yeah. She was using like a little Doppler, you know? Oh, Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 So she was using a little Doppler trying to find, uh, the heartbeat. And she was like, huh, like maybe the baby's hiding or, you know, maybe it's, you know, like you're really small. Maybe the baby's really small. I don't, you know, like, oh, let me, let me just do a ultrasound instead. Mm-hmm. So she pulls the ultrasound machine in and she does ultrasound. And then she just kind of stops and says, mm-hmm. you know, this is not looking the way I want it to look. Mm-hmm. And I immediately knew my husband, I think he knew, probably 10 minutes before that when she Mm. couldn't find it, um, the heartbeat. And I, my sister and a lot of other friends of mine have gone through miscarriages. So it Mm. wasn't an absolute 
shock as in, oh my gosh, this could never happen. Mm -hmm. But I think that you just, you just never think it can happen to you. You know, like you have, we have this idea that, um, that these things happen to other people or it's, Mm. you know, the exception when like the statistics are pretty high, there's a significant chance it could happen to you. And, um, we just never went down that route. So we really didn't prepare that much for that. So when she had said that, I was about 11 weeks and you know, like you're almost at that 12 week mark, which is like, that's, you're in the safe zone at 12 weeks. And what she had said was actually that the baby probably had stopped growing at about seven weeks. So Mm. that was, that was really hard for me to hear that. Um, I had had that baby inside me Mm -hmm. for the last three, four weeks. And, um, and I was also very sick. That was also like the worst part about it is I was throwing up every single day. Um, I was incredibly sick and I was growing. My belly was growing because it was my Mm. second pregnancy. Right. So it's like, you, your belly pops a lot faster. Mm-hmm. So I was having all the normal pregnancy symptoms and everyone always says, Oh, you're sick. That's such a good sign. You know, mm. where apparently it wasn't a good sign for me. Apparently my body thought I was pregnant. So mm-hmm. it was reacting as if I was pregnant. So I was getting all the really crappy <laughs> symptoms of being pregnant. Yeah. Um, while then finding out that actually for the last four weeks you haven't been pregnant. So that was a big shock to my system. It was like, Oh wow. Like I almost feel kind of like tricked. Like mm. I, I thought that this was going on in my body and actually this has been going on. This, this stopped happening like a while ago. So. Wow. You know, one of the things you just said was that miscarriages are so common and I think, you know, it's the statistics are so um, I guess out there a little bit because I, I've read 10 to 20%. Some people think it's even higher because women perhaps don't even realize that they're pregnant and something passes. Um, so I know for my wife and I, when we miscarried the first time, um, we were very young. We were probably mid twenties. And so, and we had been, um, we had already had our daughter. And so it was our second pregnancy and we had not been around a lot of people that had miscarried. and you know, for us, it was, wow, you know, does this happen to a lot of people? And then all of a sudden people start popping up going, oh yeah, that happened to me or, oh yeah, that happened to me. And did you find that, that, you know, obviously you were a little bit older, but that people started saying, oh yeah, that happened to me that you didn't even realize that they had had a miscarriage or were people more open with you about it? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. I don't, I don't think it's easy for people to be open about it. You know, Mm -hmm. it's, it can, it, it really can be a devastating experience and it's, it's a loss, you know? And so it's, it's something that people have to grieve. And then when they, they finally move on from the grief, they have to give themselves time to then be able to speak about it. So often Mm -hmm. when you're hearing about people's miscarriages, it's much later after they've gone through them and they've had time to process them and they're comfortable speaking about it. And even at that point, it's not something where you want to raise your hand and be like, Hey, this is dinner table, you know, conversation. Um, so I didn't know a ton. I didn't know a ton of people, but I think because I was a little bit older, um, my sister had gone through one and she was very private about that as well. I I probably only knew about it because I was her sister. Um, Mm And my, um, a few of my best friends had gone through them. So they had confided in me and their best friends of best friends, because we were all kind of in our mid thirties mm-hmm. had experienced them as well. So 
I was lucky in the fact that I'm, <laughs> I am by nature an oversharer and very transparent and I think I'm very vulnerable. And I think that breeds vulnerability, mm-hmm, right? So right. when I get vulnerable about whatever it is that's going on in my life, you know, like my relationship with my husband or some hard moments I'm having with work or whatever it is, when I get really honest, I think people feel the safety of being mm-hmm. honest as well. And so I think that I can, I can kind of facilitate those conversations to go a little bit deeper. So maybe because of my personality, I felt like I had a couple more people come out. But once I went through the miscarriage and I was very vocal about my miscarriage, oh my gosh, the amount of people that have come to me and told me that they've gone through that or that they're going through it in that very moment. Mm. I've had so many people like I will literally get daily emails or daily DMs from people being like, I am in the middle of this right now. Like, thank you so much for sharing your story or, you know, just thank you for opening the conversation. And I think that it's a tricky one because while I do want there to be a lot of openness about it, and I do want people to be able to talk about it. I also want people to know that that you don't have to, you know, like it is a grief, it is a grieving process. And if you're not comfortable talking about it right away, like don't, don't feel like you have a duty to speak about it, but know that there are so many other people going through that and the, the community that you can feel and the connectiveness that you may need during that time is a hundred percent available. You know, mm-hmm. the whole pregnancy conversation is so sticky. You know, it's everything from, <laughs> yeah. okay, don't ask if somebody's pregnant. Right. And then uh, like my wife and I, we tried for a couple years before we got pregnant and every baby shower was just a tear fest for her. You know, it was just mm. so brutal. And so you want to celebrate, but then at the, at the same time, you're sensitive to those who can't get pregnant. And then, you know, sometimes then when you're, you are pregnant, some people want to share every possible problem that they have experienced. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Every single person that they know that has had a miscarriage and then you're at home freaking out going, oh my gosh, mm-hmm. it's a sticky thing, you know? But It's so tricky. Yeah. But I think that the the vulnerability is so powerful, you know, like you said. So you're you're in that doctor's office. You've been given this information. What's next for you? Like what's going through your head? Did they offer options at that point? Take me through the next yeah. steps. Well, that's the crazy thing about, so you, we had been through one pregnancy. And so we kind of assumed we knew the ropes, you know, like we knew what we were doing, like definitely your first pregnancy and your first kid, like you have no idea what's going on. Everything's very exciting. Like every week you, you, you know, like you're like, what's happening in my body this week. It's so, you know, like, and you learn a lot, like, because you're very absorbent and you don't know anything. It's brand new. And so when we got pregnant with the second for us, it was kind of like, okay, like we, we know what's going on here. Like we don't have to prepare for these doctor's appointments. We're just going to show up. And we did. And what I didn't realize was like miscarriages are not black and white. Like they, they are not like, oh, you've just miscarried. Here's what we do next. Mm -hmm. There are so many different options of what you can do next. And it, and so many different things happening inside your body and based off what week it is or, you know, like what's going on with the baby or what's going on with the sack and like everything that they give you so many options. And what's crazy is you just heard that, that this baby inside of you is no longer viable. And then they're giving you three or four options as, as, as to what to do next. You're just like, I, I can't even hear you right that now. Is just like, yeah, like I I can't even 
I can't take in any information. And, and we loved our doctor. We, we still do. Um, so we were very lucky in the fact that we felt very connected to her, which I think is kind of a rarity sometimes. Not everyone feels that close with their doctor. To, so mm-hmm. to have someone not only deliver such devastating news, but then also say, hey, here are your options and we got to make a decision fast. Like mm. you're, you're closing in on a window where you're going to lose some of these options soon. So like, think about it, but call me at the mm-hmm. end of the day. I'm like, I, I need to be able to breathe first. Like, mm-hmm. hold on. I don't, I've got my two-year-old sitting here next to me. Who's been like kissing my belly, my growing belly for the last three weeks and saying goodnight to the baby. Every time I put her down to sleep, like I don't even know where to go. And now I have to think about how you're going to physically remove this from my body. It was really intense. And also, I'm a highly emotional person and highly sensitive, but I'm also very pragmatic. So both of those, I think um, they weren't reconciling, right? They were both fighting to be heard. Mm -hmm. So part of me was trying to allow the emotions to happen. And the other part of me was trying to allow my logical brain to kick in and say, you have to make a decision. And I kind of, I think I went into very much a mama bear mode in that, in that moment and was like, I need to decide what to do for my next baby. Like I decided right then and there that we were moving on and I was, we were so lucky we got pregnant. We're so lucky we have one child. The idea of getting pregnant is something that I don't feel like I have to be so nervous about. And that alone is a blessing. Like I feel like I've seen so many people struggle to get pregnant. So the fact that we were able to do it so quickly and we already had a kid, that was what I was choosing to focus on. And so I was like, if I focus there, my next place to focus on is that I need to take care of my body for the next pregnancy because Mm -hmm. we're going to try again. Like we definitely want more than one kid. Like, so I don't know when we're going to try and I don't know when I will be emotionally ready to try, but when we do, I need to have my body prepared for that. So then I just instantly went into what is the best route to like take the best care of my body. Before we continue the conversation, I want to ask you a quick favor. If you enjoy the Inspiration Rising podcast, would you be willing to share it with a friend? One of the primary ways that people learn about podcasts is by hearing about it from someone they trust. So if you're inspired, motivated, and empowered by what you hear on the show, tell a friend to open up their Apple or podcast app, even Stitcher or Spotify. Search for Inspiration Rising and click subscribe. You'll be helping your friend and helping us spread inspiration to more and more people. It sounds like they offered you several options. Would you mind just briefly, you don't have to get into all the medical details, but just the three options that um, you were given for someone who's listening that perhaps hasn't gone through this so that, you know, they're informed. Yeah, of course. Um, So I could, I was given the option of letting it pass naturally, right? Which is just basically like your body will quote unquote expel it. Um, We don't know when, we don't know how, like, but like even like weeks then. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, And I had had this in my body for the last four weeks and it hadn't kind of expelled it yet. So they were like, you can wait and we'll just keep checking in weekly to see if it does it naturally. Um, which I, I was like, 
okay, can I get some more information around that? Like, what, what does that feel like? What does that look like? Like, like, but they had not a ton of information. Right. And I wasn't, I didn't have the wherewithal to ask all of those questions or nor did I really want to hear the details mm-hmm. at that moment, you know, but that was the first option. The section, not the second option was almost to like induce that kind of labor. So when you kind of get to that 11, 12 week mark, um, the, the sack that was around the baby and the place that the baby had grown was fairly large. And so your body was going to have to almost go through a little bit of labor to expel it. And so, um, so the option was to either let it try your, allow your body to do that naturally, which I think of course all of us want to do, right? Like someone says you can do something like naturally, like, yes, we're going to want to opt for that. Um, the next option though was to induce it. Um, so to give, you know, to take some pills or to, to insert some, some things into your body that would help you to, you know, speed up the process, Um, but it would still be kind of passing it naturally. You'd basically just be like, if you were to induce labor, Mm -hmm. um, and then the third option was a DNC and that, that window was closing for me, but the DNC would be to go in and to surgically kind of just go in and remove it. And she's like, for lack of a better term, you kind of go in and with a tool and kind of just pull mm-hmm. everything out, you know, mm-hmm. so you would go under, it's like a 15 minute process. And she was like, go home and think about which mm-hmm. one you would want to, you which route you would want to take. And DNC, do you remember what that stands for? Um, I will butcher it if I say it. <laughs> I'm going to look it up. I'm going to yeah. look it up right here because yeah. my wife has had three of them. Um, dilation and, oh, curatage. Cur- yeah. C-U-R-E-T-T-A-G-E. Yeah. Um, so it's basically just to remove tissue from the inside of the uterus is the definition. So. Yes. Yeah. yeah. DNC. Yeah. Yeah. And, um. And so when presented with these, there are very different options. Like one right. is surgical option, one is naturally to let it right. pass. The doctors have no information as to which one really is better for you. Mm. Um, so, you know, and, and what, what, what was so interesting was because I was almost hitting that 12 week mark, you know, she was kind of looking at me being like, does one of these sound better than the other? And I'm like, I'm so sorry. I can't answer that for you mm-hmm. right now. Like how much time do I have? Because I, I don't know anything about these options that you've given me, like at all. Like I don't know what a DNC really entails. Like we had a C-section with McKenna, our first, and before going down that route, like you have plenty of time to research it. Like you, you have plenty of time to understand what you're getting into, what that's going to look like, what the recovery is, like what the risks are, and. I think it's a lot easier to make those decisions when you're well-informed. So not only are you like having an emotional spike and a loss, but you're also then trying to comprehend all of these options, you know? So ultimately, how did you make that decision? Well, we, we left um, the office and she had said, you know, get back to me as soon as you can. Um, if you're going to go the DNC route, we're going to get you in as soon as possible. Um, if you're going to go the other routes, like I just want to be in contact with you and monitor it and just cause you're so kind of late in the process. Um, so we left and I remember just sitting outside of the doctor's office with my husband and, you know, my daughter has no idea what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, um, I am just sitting there with kind of like tears streaming down my face and I wasn't hysterical. I wasn't, um, 
I wasn't as hysterical as I would have thought I would have been, right? It wasn't, I definitely felt like I needed to be strong um, and and make a decision moving forward for us. Um, not out of like a puff up my chest, be strong, but as in um, you're going to crash, like you will cry. You're going to grieve this for a long time. It's not just today. It's going to, mm-hmm. it's going to be a process. Like if you can, you know, hold it together to make the best decision for your body and your family and for your next child, like that's your best option just for now. So we sat outside the doctor's office and I remember Kenna, McKenna was running around and I was just sitting on the bench and Colin, my husband was just trying to occupy her and was like, what do you want to do? Like, do you need, should we get food? Like, should we go get dinner? Like, should we go home and cry? Like what, like, what do you want to do? And I was like, yeah, let's pick up some food and go home. And we went home and just an absolute shock, you know, like, and just, and, you know, put her down for bed. And we started talking about it and researching the options. And I started to text a couple friends and, and I, that's one of the hardest, that was one of the hardest parts for me about the miscarriage was telling other people because it breaks other people's hearts. You know, Mm. no one wants to hear that and it breaks their heart for you. Like, so their response back, I almost felt like I had to nurture them, you know, and I had to be like, it's okay. We're all right. We're really positive and we're very grateful we got pregnant and we know we'll get pregnant again, you know, like, but I almost felt like I had to put so much energy into making sure that they were okay that Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, for a while there, I didn't want to talk about it because I just didn't want to have to tell other people and see the look on their face and break their hearts. Um, which is, you know, a very natural thing, I think, for people like they love you, you know, they right. don't want to see you in pain. Um, but I texted a couple people to get some information like, hey, I know you went through this or maybe a friend went through this. And so some information started trickling in. Um, and I will tell you the decisions I made, I made every single decision. I, I decided at first, we're going to pass it naturally. That's it. Um, and then I started to read up on like what would happen if it didn't pass naturally and how long it could just be inside my body. And um, and then the process of you missed the DNC cutoff time and it hadn't passed by then. And so we then, the more I talked to people, they were like, you don't want to wait. Like you're, you could be waiting a really, really, really long time. And the longer you wait, the longer you can't start trying for your next pregnancy. Okay. Um, so then we decided we were going to put the prescription in and we were going to help induce it. Right. <laughs> so we, we call and we say, that's what we're going to decide. And she's like, okay, great. Um, and then I start hearing stories about what that's like. And people just start talking about how that is like the most painful, horrific experience they've mm. ever had. And like, if you ever have the option between that and a DNC, like absolutely do the DNC. And I think this was like over Labor Day. Um, the prescription was in. I had it. I, I decided not to take it. And it was like a Friday and I was like, okay, we're just going to do the DNC. And my, my sweet mom, you know, was just like, just do the DNC. Like, just take care of it. Like, just, I want this, I want you to be able to move on. I want, you know, like she was just like, um, don't prolong this. Don't go through that pain if you don't mm-hmm. have to. Um, so I was kind of reluctant to do the DNC because I had had a C-section. So there was already scar tissue in my body. And I knew that, it was just going to create more scar tissue. So I was trying to avoid it if possible. And then just the more and more information I collected, the more I heard, 
honestly, the the, uh, the DNC is so safe and it's so minimally invasive, and um, and they can do it in a way that uh, just makes this grieving process a little bit easier. Like it's done, you can move on, which which all still sounds horrible, right? Like, but um, so. I'm desperately now on Friday trying to call my OB's surgery scheduler and get in as soon as possible, like for the next Tuesday or whatever it is to get, um, to get on her schedule for a DNC. And, um, I couldn't get a hold of her. She had left for the weekend cause it was like, you know, Labor Day weekend or something. And she had left and she was on vacation and her surgery scheduler was leaving, but she was still in the building. So I was like trying to track her down and, like all of a sudden felt this panic. Like I have to get on the schedule. I have to get on the schedule. I, I it was almost like I just needed that kind of closure. Right. I needed to know what was going to happen. And so um, I finally get a message in and they're basically like, listen, we can't put you on the schedule without the doctor's approval. We can't get a hold of the doctor, but this is a priority. Like we're going to call you first thing Tuesday. Like you're not, we're not going to leave you hanging. Mm-hmm. Like, trust me, like mm-hmm. be prepared to come in Tuesday. We can help you out. And I was like, okay, all right. Um, and so what was interesting was that weekend we were planning to go up and see my husband's family up in the Bay area and we left and, um, we flew up there and the second we landed, <laughs> my body started to pass this. this, Yeah. I started to bleed and, um, I was like, you know, wouldn't that of course just happen? (laughs) Like you spend so much time trying to organize and project manage like your life and your body in a pregnancy and your body's like, Hey, I'm just, I'm going to do my thing. You can project Mm -hmm. manage all you want, but like, this is out of your control. Um, and so, that started to happen. So I started to actually pass and, and, and go through the, the miscarriage process before, before that, that DNC ever could potentially happen on, on Tuesday. So that all happened to me like, like Friday night. Mm. And you ended up having the DNC on Tuesday. Is that correct? Well, I, and I actually ended up, um, so lightly and heavily bleeding throughout the weekend. And then on Monday, actually, we flew back. Um, and I, that Monday, I actually started to pass it more naturally. Um, and I went through heavy, heavy, like labor contractions. And I actually ended up in the ER late Monday night. Um, because my cervix had, I guess it was so swollen and my body was trying to pass everything. It couldn't. So I went in and I mean, this is very graphic. Um, and so I will not go into too many details, but I, I did end up going into the ER and like midnight on, um, Monday they went in and they like manually went in and removed it. So I didn't actually go through the DNC. I didn't go through an actual surgery, um, but a, an OB had to come in and go in and help remove everything. Um, and then I went in the next morning to, you know, they called me, my doctor called me right away on Tuesday morning and was like, I heard you want to get in for the DNC. I'm seeing ER reports last night, like w- come in, we need, let's take a look and see what's going on. If we need to, we'll, we'll perform the DNC. And I came in and 
and everything was gone. And she did the ultrasound and it was complete. Like there was nothing up on the ultrasound. And the ER experience was kind of traumatic for me because I hadn't gone through labor contractions with McKenna. Um, It was a scheduled C-section. So I didn't know how intense labor contractions were. Like it was, I did feel like when I went through the C-section with McKenna, I kind of like missed out on a rite of passage. Um, And I feel like I got that now. Um, And I have so much love and respect for people that go through intense contractions because it was literally to the point where I was in the back seat of the car with my husband driving to the ER where I was just hysterical and like, oh my gosh, like this is straight out of the movies. Like you can't move. It's so intense. The contractions of your whole body, like you can't breathe. They're so, they're so intense. And so it was a little bit of a traumatic experience, like going to the ER and having everything happen. And so when I like slept that night, I didn't realize that that was it, you know, like that, that was the end of that process. And now it was time to move on in like this, this grieving process. Um, and so when I went to the doctor the next day and they did the ultrasound and they were like, nope, you're good to go. You don't need the DNC. It was almost like disappointing to me. I was almost like, oh, wow. Like, and that's when I really started to grieve. That's when I mm. really was like, oh, there's nothing inside of my body anymore. Like that, that is, that is over. Like you are actually, you actually have to move on now. And, and that's when I, I spent, I, that's when I called up my counselor and my husband and I called up our counselor. We're like, this is going to be sad. We feel it now. Like we feel Mm -hmm. the weight of it. Um, and this is going to be a sad process. And, and so that's when we started the grieving process. And I still definitely, chose to look at it from the point of view of, I'm so grateful I have this little two-year-old running around me. Like I Mm -hmm. couldn't be more grateful in that moment for McKenna. Like just seeing her was like, if nothing else happened in the world, if we could never get pregnant again, I'm so lucky that I have her. Like, Mm -hmm. and I'm so lucky to go through a miscarriage process with a child, you know, like that I feel like is, I'm very, very blessed and lucky. Um, I'm very lucky that we got pregnant so quickly. So I had to focus there. It was a choice. Like I knew every day getting up the next few days was like you, you get to choose what you focus on. Mm. It doesn't mean you, it doesn't mean you ignore the sadness. doesn't mean you power through the sadness. Like you, I still definitely, we would sit on the couch and cry every night, probably for like 30 minutes. And then we would, we would move on. We'd be like, this is horrible. Like, this is so sad. Um, and then we would focus on her and we would focus on us and we would focus on our time together and he would pour me a glass of wine and we'd be like, we could, we can do this, you know, like we have mm. each other and so many like great things, but, but it was a process. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, when we had our second miscarriage, I was actually in uh, the Grand Canyon with a friend mm-hmm. and my wife was with our daughter who was several years old in Santa Barbara with visiting a friend and I get a call at like around midnight or something like that, maybe two in the morning. And it was from my wife's friend saying, she's having a miscarriage. You need to come right away. So I'm in the grand Canyon. She's in Santa Barbara. I have a friend who lives in Costa Mesa, orange County. If you're not familiar with the geography listeners, those are not close together. Um, so yeah. we literally drove through the night back to Costa Mesa and I dropped him off. And then I drove straight to Santa Barbara to be with my wife. My wife was 16 weeks 
um, at that time. And she, like you, um, I, you know, I don't remember if I assume they induced her and she had to, you know, deliver, um, mm-hmm. the, the child. And so I think the thing that is so, um, confounding in a lot of ways is the ways that, um, the husband or partner deals with the situation versus the woman. And, you know, I think in, when you're in that situation, there's a tendency maybe to feel like, well, how should I feel? I should be feeling this. I should be, you know, like, how did your, how did your husband just, and it, right. It's just one experience, right. It's not the right right way. It's just like, how did you guys, you know, how did he feel? Did he feel it? Was he more just there with you, but he didn't feel it necessarily? Like, how did he walk through that process with you? Yeah. You know what? That's such a good question. And it was such a, an interesting experience for my husband and I, because my husband and I tend to be on the same page with a lot of things. Like we're very, we enjoy life in the same ways. We have very similar humor. Um, we find the same adventures fun. We both are on a fantasy football team together. You know, we do a lot of similar things. Like we, we, we follow a similar path and we react to things very similarly. And I think this was the first time in our relationship where we reacted so differently and we had such different experiences. And I wasn't expecting that at all. I just expected as normal, like we would have the same, you know, we kind of bounce off each other, be slightly different, you know, from a, a male and a female perspective. But for the most part, we would go through similar, the similar, you know, Mm-hmm. process. Um, and we didn't, we didn't at all. And, um, you know, it was, it was harder for both of us in different ways, but I think that I was maybe a little bit more prepared for it because as a woman who wants to get pregnant, like I'm thinking about that all the time. I'm doing tons of research on it. I'm talking to my girlfriends about it 24 seven, right? Like it's very front in my face. Like I know every, every month we don't get pregnant. Like I know the statistics of what's happening, you know, like I'm, I'm calling up my OB and asking her. And, and so those things just were, were very front of, you know, front of mind for me. Um, and I also am a little bit more of an overshare than my husband. I'm a little bit more, I connect with people by sharing um, and by talking about things. Um, and uh, while he's highly emotional, intelli- he, he is such a high emotional intelligence and he is a fantastic communicator, he also he, he does like a level of, of privacy, you know, and, um, as we went through this, because the grief, I think was a little bit harder for him at the time. Um, it was a little bit more unexpected. Um, and, and they, and people do say this sometimes when you have a child and this is your next miss, your, you miscarry after you have a child, that miscarriage feels very much like your second child. Like Mm -hmm. it is not just a baby or a Mm -hmm. fetus or a 12 week. It, you know, it is a child. Like you've already envisioned what life is going to be like with your second child. And I probably didn't let my brain go that far. Like I just probably in self-preservation mode hadn't quite gone that far. And I think he probably had, had gone a little bit further than I had. Mm -hmm. So the grieving and the devastation, I think for us was different levels and the way that we were working through it was very different. Um, so when I would talk about it, 
uh, he was like, I, I, I want you to do what you need to do. Like, I want you to talk about this if it's helpful, but I don't really want to talk about it, which for me was shocking because he's so communicative. Like Mm. we talk about everything together. Like I'm very lucky in the fact that I have a husband that will talk that much with me about things. Um, and he was like, I, I want to go through this process in a healthy way. And we were like, we'll go to some therapy sessions and make sure we're creating space for each other and staying close and connective and supportive during this. But he's like, I don't want to talk about it in the way that you are talking about it. And I was like, I'm so glad you're telling me that because I would never have guessed that. Like, we'd be talking about this every night. Like, if I didn't know that from you, like I would, because he's so supportive. So when I would cry or I would tear up, he would be like, how are you feeling? What you, do you want to talk? What do you want? What do you need? Mm-hmm. And he's very selfless like that. So he'd say, what, what do you need? When the whole time I, I, I didn't know in the beginning that really what he needed was just a little bit of space from it. You know, mm-hmm. he needed a little bit of space to kind of grieve and to, to move on a little bit from it. And that grieving and that space and that moving on, he was just doing it in a bit of a different way than I was. So I just thought that was so interesting. I never would have expected that. And it's hard to know how two people are going to grieve when you've never gone through a loss like that before, you know? Right. That is so good. Yeah. That's so powerful to just be able to talk with each other about what is going on, what each other needs, not assume that, you know, a certain way. Um, You know, I know for me, I actually probably had I don't want to say opposite, just different um, in that I was so concerned about my wife. And, you know, once again, like, how are you doing? She was feeling all of this, you know, huge amounts of loss. And I wasn't feeling that much. Right. You know, and I, th- I think that may be more common for guys yeah. um, to not feel as much because I wasn't carrying the child. Um, I wasn't feeling the things, but I was just so um, concerned about her, you know, and so my feelings were less about the loss of the child and more about like her, you know, and like, how are you doing? How are you, you know, getting through this process? Uh, But it's just the thing, um, no matter what is husbands, partners need to be supportive. Like however that looks like, you know, whatever that, that's obviously the point. Um, So uh, I'm glad you guys were able to, to process that and figure that out. Yeah. Um, For, Men and women who haven't gone through the process, what would you encourage them to say and not to say or to do and not to do? Because that's, you know, I think so many people are just like, I don't even know what to say. You know, I'm I'm right. sorry. You know, I'm sorry. You know, right. like what would you suggest? Yeah. Oh man. Um, there are no, you know, I, I feel like I'm definitely not an expert in this in there. <laughs> Please don't, t- don't take my advice and run with it. Um, maybe, feel- <laughs> maybe, maybe what you didn't want people to say to you or maybe yeah, what you yeah. didn't want people to say to you. Is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, you know, what's so interesting about, you know, again, like you don't know how people are grieving, right? Like people, especially like if you would have looked at my husband and I, right. I think that you probably would have assumed the opposite. Like you would assumed because I was so connective and caring of the child. Like right now, I, right now I am uh, seven months pregnant and I have a baby in my belly right now. Mm. And we like, when I feel the baby kick, um, 
I feel very connected to the baby. And I think that I may, at this point in the pregnancy, I probably let myself um, feel more connected to the baby than my husband does, right? Because now I've been carrying it for a long time. I'm going to tell you a crazy thing. I'm looking at you earlier and I said to myself, I go, I think she's pregnant. Really? Oh yeah. Like I just said it. In, <laughs> like just, I don't know. I was just looking at you and I'm like, I don't, I, maybe she's not, I don't know. I just had this sense. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Wow, that's really yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. We, um, we waited a while. We, we had to wait a while mm-hmm. to start trying again. We, I, I definitely wasn't mentally there. Um, but, but yeah, when we did, we were very lucky to get pregnant mm-hmm. pretty quickly. And did you go back to Paris? <laughs> we didn't. No. Okay. All right. Wah, wah. No French baby. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not as fun of a story. <laughs> um, no, but we, we we waited almost a whole year. Like so, we waited a whole year to start trying again. But uh, I I feel more connected to the baby I think than my husband probably does right now. You know, because I'm feeling the baby kick on a daily basis. Right. Like I'm talking to the baby. Like it's like I feel so connected. So in theory, you would have thought the way that our grief process would have gone is I would have felt more connected to the baby. Um, and, and I don't know what it was and it may be our personalities and it may just have been situational. Uh, um, but I also think that sometimes with parenting, at least what I've noticed is, uh, and, and I just thought of this as you were explaining your situation and, and what you went through is I do notice sometimes as parents, um, and in relationships, like sometimes when someone is like overly caring or overly involved or overly concerned, um, it almost gives the other parent like, like an out to kind of like relax a little bit. You know, Mm. if someone's doing the sleep training, it's like, I know you're going to handle most of this. (laughs) Like, I, I know I don't have to like be as on top of it because you've got this, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and vice versa. And I think men and women tend to gradually, you know, choose things that they're going to be a little bit more on top of, or just they care about a little bit more as the parent, which kind of gives the other parent like the option to relax a little bit. Like, oh, I know that dad is going to be all over the soccer games, right? Like, or I know mom is always going to make sure the lunches are ready, you know? Like, so I think as parents, we naturally like kind of overcompensate in certain areas. And I always wonder if maybe because I stepped straight into that kind of like mama bear role, like I can't Mm -hmm. focus on being too upset and devastated about this. Like I'm going to focus on moving forward, what this means for my body for the next pregnancy. I wonder if that almost gave him more room to take on the sadness for Mm -hmm. our child, you know? So, Mm. but so, so you just don't know how people are going to grieve. So how to respond to someone where you don't really know the inner workings of their grief is really, really, really tricky. But I will say, um, I have a really good friend, Emily McDowell, and she writes empathy cards. And I love talking to her about grief and empathy because I very much agree with what she says. Um, and she has these cards that I think just describe exactly how you should respond to someone so perfectly. Um, and they're basically like, there is no normal after this, right? Like there's no mm-hmm. way forward that I can help you with. Um, but I will be there and I will be there with snacks. You know, mm-hmm. like it's very much like, um, this is this is sucky. And like, I'm not going to try to give you advice through this. Like, but I am here for you 110%, whether you want to go and get a drink or whether you want to cry and watch a movie or whether, you you know, like whatever you want to do, I'm here for you. And 
I think that whether it's a miscarriage, it's whether someone's going through recovery, like these really intense things that are really hard to go through that you don't know how to respond to, um, just letting someone know that you're there and not trying to problem solve for them, not trying to um, have pity for them, you know, like just showing up and being like, I, I'm here for you. I've mm-hmm. got your back. And I know that it's going to, that it's not going to be the same moving forward. Mm-hmm. I know that it's going to be different. I don't know if it will be horrible. I don't know if it just will be crappy. I don't know if it's going to be quick or long, but I'm here. I'm here mm-hmm. for the ride and I'm here for whatever you need. And showing up in that way for me, when people showed up for me like that was the best thing like possible. And I have learned to show up for people in that way since that experience, you know? Mm-hmm. I think the the main thing that you're alluding to is that unsolicited advice is not real helpful. Um, <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. So, so many things that people, you know, want to say in terms of advice that can really, in, an, in a uh, positive intent, um, can end up being real, real hurtful. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think anyone ever tries to be hurtful. I nope. think that... I think in in life in general, we probably over advise people, you know, when they, you know, they're like, oh yeah, I hate my job. It's like, well, have you tried this? Well, have you tried this? Well, have you, and it's like, um, I actually just wanted to vent for a second, you know, like, <laughs> I, you know, or um, there's so many funny memes out there about moms who, you know, like are like, oh gosh, my kid wouldn't sleep through the night. I'm so tired. And they're like, well, did you try this? Did you try that? And it's like, um, I just wanted to complain for a second, you know? Right, um, right. So I think you have to know the person, you have to be willing to, approach it with like, oh man, that sucks. How are you feeling? Like, ah, oh, yeah. Like, um, really I always, I mean, I'm a big believer in question-based conversation, you know, so, cause it creates a space for people to guide you and lead you to where they really want. Because if you're like, oh yeah, like that sucks. How are you feeling about that? You know? And they're like, um, it's driving me crazy. Do you have any thoughts? You know? And it's like, okay, there you go. Like now, right. now go for it and give your advice or like, it's driving me crazy. And I just really need a coffee. It's like, cool, let's go get a coffee then. You know, mm-hmm. like you you can really, I think, create that space for someone to come to you with what they need. But if you can't get there, if you, you naturally want to go into advice, like I, I would say, like, take a step back, like just just think about creating a container of space for people and letting them know, like, I am here for you 110%, whichever way this coin falls, like, whatever you need, like, I am here. Like that, I don't think anything else could be more valuable than saying mm-hmm. that, you know? I know you said um, the one thing that you did not want was flowers. <laughs> Why oh is my this? Gosh. What's wrong with, I love flowers. Oh my gosh. My husband and I, we crack up about this now, but at the time, because no one knows what to do and you have such loving support, right? But then they send you flowers and you have these beautiful flowers like sitting on your counter and you're like, cool, those are my miscarriage flowers. <laughs> like, it's just like a constant reminder, like that these beautiful flowers are going to like remind you of the sympathy of your miscarriage where you're like, I don't really want to think that like my, one of my very best friends sent me one with like a mug. It was like a mug with flowers in it. And so we like eventually threw away many of the flowers right away. And then we were like, well, we have this mug. Should we save the mug? He's like, are you going to drink coffee out of your miscarriage? Mug? No, <laughs> like, no. Um, we're going to toss that. So it's like so good intentioned and I can laugh with all of my friends about it because they love me so much. They had no idea what to do right there at a loss. And I probably would have done the same thing. Like, but I'm like, 
maybe you could send food, you know, like maybe you could send, I mean, wine is a little tricky because it's like, I don't, some people are like, well, you can drink now. And it's like, no, 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 no. We're, we're not, we're not there yet. I can't like, like wait till I celebrate the fact that I can drink yeah. and I can get to that place. So, you know, like a card, like I love Emily's empathy cards, like just a card, just being like, this, this sucks. I am here. Like, let's go, let's go to a movie or a text mm-hmm. or something thoughtful. That's, that's showing up for them in a really meaningful way. But yeah, I would, I would avoid the flowers. <laughs> well, I do want to point people to, and I'll link uh, in the show notes to the episode where you really went into detail in terms of the medical process that you went through, through mm-hmm. the miscarriage. And um, th- that is definitely a, I don't know about a trigger warning. It's a queasy warning for sure. Um, you definitely <laughs> There's a lot to, of details in there. There's a lot, a lot of, details. of details. Yes. It's very and, informational. Uh, <laughs> it's very informational. And I want to make sure that people have access to that. So we'll link to that in the show notes. But as I mentioned in the intro, you are a career strategist, you're a coach, and you obviously have your own podcast, which we will you know, point people to that, the Whiskey and Work podcast. But I also um, want to make sure that people have access to a planning tool, and I've downloaded it. It's, it's great. It's very uh, detailed. Um, tell us about this free planner. It's a business planner. Why would it be helpful for someone? Yeah, yeah. So it's funny with with the miscarriage and you know with with learning how to be a wife and learning how to be a mom and and learning what i want my life to really look like in adulthood as we as we start to move forward um i i spent a lot of time trying to figure out what that meant for me with work you know i wanted to create a lifestyle where i could really be home with my kid and I could show up at her field trips whenever they, you know, were available. And I was the mom that could take her to school and pick her up and, and then also have time for myself to be there for my husband and to cook him dinner and to iron his clothes and to do all these things that I had always envisioned I wanted to do. But as I got older, I also realized I really like my career. <laughs> like, and I really love working and I love having that thing for myself and not just any career or hobby on the side. Like I wanted a successful career where I was bringing in a a solid amount of finances and I felt really proud of it. And it was a thing where if I wanted to, I could go fly and, and go to a girl's weekend away and have a glass of champagne and, and feel really good about this kind of multifaceted life that I wanted. And I had always heard that really you can only have one or the other, right? You could be a stay at home mom or you could have a really successful career. And I just never really bought into that. And so I started doing a lot of research and trying to figure out what I wanted to do for my own business, which is when I stumbled upon coaching and got into life coaching and business coaching and um, helped people kind of with career transition coaching. And then I built this business where I was able to do that, where I was able to work my, you know, 20 hours a week and still be there for my kid and only work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. And have this epic business. And I wanted people to see that it was possible, you know, and that they could do that. And 
I started to get so many questions about it. Like, how did you do that? Like, I don't need to make a million dollars, but I would like to make multiple (laughs) six figures. Like I would, you know, like that people are talking about, I want to leave these really impressive corporate jobs um, to be home with my kids, but I still want to do something that I feel really proud of. And so um, I started just talking to people about how I plan my business and how I plan my life. And it really kind of goes back to like, the exact way that I managed my way through the miscarriage is I really choose what I want to focus on. And I'm really intentional and conscious about simplifying that so that I can move the needle and really give that the time and the dedication it deserves so that I don't feel like I'm missing out on it. I don't feel like it's getting you know, wasted away in the distractions of life. You know, it's not just this kind of muddled idea. It's a very focused idea. It's very thoughtful and it's rooted in the things that I actually care about. So, um, so I plan my business that exact same way and it's a very holistic approach. You know, like I definitely start backwards. I start from like the lifestyle I want and I create my business model around that lifestyle. And then, um, yeah, I plug it into a, a 12 month planner. <laughs> and then I get really conscious about how that shows up in my weekly, on my weekly iCals and um, how I make time and create space for that. So, so yeah, I created the kind of like, I started talking to people about how I did that. And they were asking so many questions that I created this very specific guide of this is how I do it. This is the process that you can follow to get really, really focused, know exactly what you want to like lean into so that you can see that that needle really move and not in like a hundred hours a week. You can see that needle move so that you can create that lifestyle that still allows you that freedom with your kiddos or future kiddos or, you know, things like that. I love it. And you know, even though it's it's titled How to Plan Your Business, the way that you approach it, it really is um, accessible to someone who just wants to think about life, yes. uh, you know, not just their business itself. And so I would suggest if you're listening and you're like, well, I don't have a business. I don't want to start a business. I'd say, ah, you know, download it because I think that there are a lot of things that you can learn from uh, this guide. So um, all you need to do is go to KelseyMurphy.com. KelseyMurphy.com, and then there's a uh, black button right in the center that says free planner, and you can download it, and it's quite easy. And of course, we will link to your Whiskey and Work podcast as well, so people can check that out. So Kelsey, thank you so much just for being vulnerable and sharing about your experience, and I'm so excited that um, that you're pregnant again. That's super fun. <laughs> and uh, McKenna will have, do you know, boy or girl? Or are you waiting it's to gonna find out? It's going to be another girl. It's going to be another girl. Okay. Yeah. Super fun. Girls are great. I my, know. My daughter is 20. And so she's, uh. she's awesome. Uh. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. I love it. Well, thank you so much for having me on. I, I love the conversations you're facilitating. I think it's really important work that we're doing out there. And um, the fact that you're creating this space for these conversations, it's, it's, it's scary to have these conversations, whether it's about miscarriage or it's about um, anything else that's a, that's a trying thing in life that we're trying to figure out how to move through and we're dealing with our own insecurities and our own confusions. Um, find, navigating those waters is really tough. So um, I just, I love the work you're doing. I love that you're opening up that space and, and it was an honor to have this conversation be here. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kelsey and I want to encourage you to share with a friend who has gone through or is going through a miscarriage. 
My desire is that this episode would be a source of healing and hope to hundreds of women. All right, until next time, have a wonderful week.